Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. I'm hungry. And there's Charles W. Chuck Bryan. Did that make you hungry? It did. We were just talking about I made my last chili of the season, and Josh is over here mouth-watering. Yeah, because you were talking about tortilla soup, mm. uh, white chili, yeah. red chili. Yeah. I'll eat any kind of chili, really. And Jerry always eats in here. People don't know that. She eats lunch while we record. Yeah. So this, the smell of her stuff always wafts over. It's delicious. That avocado looks top-notch, Jerry. It's insane how good that stuff is. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, it's funny that you bring that up, Chuck, because we are talking today about the insanity defense. Is that why you just did that? Yeah. You know, Chuck, Yeah. for a very long time, basically since there was such a thing as law, you know, prior to the advent of law in mm-hmm. Western civilization, uh, if I killed your brother, you would come kill me. Yeah, eye for an eye. Right. That was actually the first law, the Code of Hammurabi. Yeah, from the Bible. But a little after that, right? And I, that actually, I think it predates the Bible, Hammurabi. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I mean, it's like on a, a black obelisk. <laughs> yeah. All right. It's old, yeah. is what I mean. Um, the, 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 pretty much the whole idea behind law from the get-go was the idea of what was going on in your head when you did something. Right. Uh, motive, sure. intent. There's a difference between accidentally killing somebody and killing someone on purpose. And this was the idea behind law, to get to the bottom of it and then punish accordingly. Yeah. And so it, it's it's a pretty short hop, skip, and a jump from getting to the bottom of what someone was thinking at the time yeah. to finding that some people weren't thinking anything that any sane human being would ra- recognize as rational. Right. And with that understanding came the beginnings, the premise of what we recognize now as the insanity defense. But this this whole idea that somebody can, that the insane, those who are mentally ill, yeah, um, can't understand or grasp the uh, the criminality, uh-huh. the moral wrongness of their act, um, the idea that that's out there that people like that are out there, has moved us, I think, quite compassionately. Like, this check one for humanity, in my opinion. Yeah. To protect them. Like, sure. we need to make sure they don't do that again, but that's not evil. Right. And the point of law is to punish evil. <laughs> right? Evildoers. Yeah, well, it's true. Yeah. You know? So, um, the from the beginning of understanding this to even to today, yeah. the, the insanity defense has undergone evolution after evolution after evolution. Yeah. And you know quite a bit about this. A little bit. Um, it started out in 16th century England, and um, at the time, uh, they had the wild beast test in England, Yeah, where a person uh, was so depraved of understanding or memory of like what they had done right. that, uh, quote, no more than an infant, a brute, or a wild beast could be found not guilty of his crimes. Um <laughs> And it's important to say insanity is not a medical condition. Like you can't look it up and define insane. In oh, like, oh yeah. In like the medical, what was what's the book? The DS DSM DSM. Yeah. Insanity's not in there. I don't think. 
Um, and there's no single standard in the United States for defining it um, in the court system. Is that right? As far as the defense goes. Even today? Yeah, like different states have different methods. Oh, gotcha. So there's not like a single federal standard. Yeah, and there's actually a conversation now of whether or not that should be – that's a constitutional right protected by the Eighth Amendment. Yeah, exactly. That you are um, – you have a right to plead insanity or try to prove yeah. that you're insane. And yeah, because some states don't recognize it, right? Uh, yeah, as we'll find out. Um, so there's a couple of different, um, tests that the United States generally operate under. And the first one is the, uh, monoton test. How do you pronounce that? I think monoton. Monoton. It's M apostrophe noton. And it looks like it should be McNaughton, but they left the C out and replaced it with an apostrophe. Exactly. So we'll he's, go very, he's very stylish. Monoton. And that was, uh, in the UK in the 1840s. And I guess we should go ahead and talk about that case now. Well, Daniel Monoton. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he was a Scottish woodworker, um, who believed that Prime Minister Robert Peel and the Pope were plotting against him. Oh, the Pope too? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Monoton, went to uh, London, and he shot and killed Peel's um, secretary. Now, was that a mistaken identity thing, or was it just a bad shot? I, ha- I didn't see. Okay, so I he killed the see. wrong person. Though. Yes, but he did kill that person with the intent of killing Peel because he thought that Peel was out to get him. Right. Um, and so Peel was, uh, he was tried, but he was acquitted by reason of insanity, and he was sentenced to life in Bedlam. Which was not a nice place to be. No, it just sounds like, the, you know, why would you name it Bedlam unless it was just awful? Well, you know. Th- th- is that where it comes from? Yeah. Okay. Because Bedlam is like kind of a British, um, I think it was open It was opened in 1247, and it was kind of short for Bethlehem. And it was the first mental asylum in Europe. Yeah. Wow. And this guy was sentenced to life there, which is, that's that was not a nice thing to have happen to you. But even still, the fact that some guy tried to kill the prime minister. Yeah. And was not thrown into prison, which I imagine was even worse than Bedlam. Um, Queen Elizabeth herself came out and said, what are you guys doing? Courts, explain <laughs> yourselves. Yeah. And what the courts came up with was what came to be known as the McNaughton Rule. They said, "If you we, here's a test for insanity. Yeah. If somebody um, doesn't know what they're doing at the time they commit the crime, or they don't know... What they're doing was right or wrong. It's also called the right-wrong test. Yeah. Then from now on, under British law, we're going to uniformly say that that person is insane and can be acquitted of a crime. They really called it the right-wrong test? Yeah. That's a little on the nose, don't you think? A little. Um, so that's a monoton test, and we'll, we'll get to how that applies today. Uh, and then came along um, American Law Institute, the ALI, uh, established an insanity test in 1962 um, laid out in the Model Penal Code. And... <laughs> They then began to consider what they called irresistible impulse. So a, if you're a defendant, you could not refrain from doing something you knew was wrong. Like you, you like you know. see red. Right. You know it's wrong to kill someone, but you just couldn't help yourself. Like what you might call like a crime of passion or something like that. Like you're Probably. so overwhelmed with rage or yeah. vengeance or whatever. You know what you're doing is wrong, but you can't stop yourself. It's also called the volition rule. Like yeah. You're doing it under your own volition. Like Shawshank, for instance. Although he didn't really kill anyone, but that's what they thought was Tim Robbins. Oh, yeah. Had walked in on his wife and like shot right. this guy. Yeah. So um, under this test, uh, you were criminally insane if you were unable to, quote, appreciate the criminality of conduct or to conform uh, your conduct to the requirements of the law. So you can still go out and kill someone and 
use gloves and dispose of the body and all that stuff and still be considered insane under this standard. Used to. Well, it's pretty, it was pretty controversial. Yeah. And then 20 years after that, uh, a guy named John Hinckley changed all that again, which led to the Insanity Defense Reform Act of 84. So what happened with Hinckley? We all remember that, right? Yeah, he went after Reagan to impress Jody Foster. That's right. And he shot Reagan. And he was acquitted. He was found not guilty by reason of insanity. And, and the nation deal. went crazy. Yeah, people were like, because it was the president, you know, like, how can you acquit this guy? Right. Well, not only that, it was when uh, Minotin was sentenced to Bedlam and the Minotin rule came about for about 100 years after that. Yeah. Maybe a little less. If you were found uh, insane, whether or not you were acquitted, you still spent the rest of your life in an insane asylum. Sure. Uh, as psychology progressed further and further and got to the point where they're like, hey, this person's cured, this person's cured, that person's right. cured. You, sometimes when you were found not guilty by reason of insanity, you weren't even – like you got out after a couple of years. Yeah. It was basically tantamount to getting off. Yeah. And by the time Hinckley was acquitted, um, the, that the public kind of saw – that that was the case. Like, he wasn't going to get any kind of punishment, and we need to do something. So they came up with a a reform for the insanity defense. Yeah, and basically that sort of put the ALI standard aside and brought us back to something more like the McNaughton rule. And uh, even more significantly, probably, they uh, federal and state shifted the burden of proof after Hinckley to uh, defense. Right. So you had to... Instead of being it on the prosecution, um, it was on the defense to prove that they were, uh, with clear evidence that they were legally insane at the time. So that was a big deal, that shift. Yeah. And yeah, they did away with the volition rule too, right? I think so. And, and it's important to know that when you, there's two ways to, to use the insanity rule. You can go guilty by reasons of insanity or not guilty by reasons of insanity, mm-hmm. which is interesting that you can use the same thing for guilt or not guilty. Right. But um, it's there to protect the mentally ill, you know, so it's a, it's a good thing. And it's not – it's pretty tough to get it through. Like only 1% of cases are successful, and then only about 15 to 25% of that 1% are actual acquittals. Right. So it's not like, you know, oh, I was, I was in, insane at the time, and so you can't throw me in jail. Yeah, well – It's pretty rare. At the time is a really big thing, too. You can't just be like, oh, well, I'm mentally ill, so right. you've got to let me off because then I have blanket immunity from any of my actions. You have to be able to prove that at that time you didn't understand yeah. that what you were doing was wrong. You right. were not competent to, to, I guess, stand trial yeah, and for well, that. And convince a jury of that, which is – that's the trick. Yeah. So we have some famous cases here. Yeah, Minotin, uh, his case came in, uh, 1843. Yeah. But, um, he wasn't the first one in the West to, uh, I guess get off for being insane, acquitted by reason of insanity. Um, in the United States back in 1835, a guy named Richard Lawrence, who was a house painter, um, was acquitted by reason of insanity. For trying when, to kill the president. Yeah. Trying to kill him really hard too. <laughs> Andrew Jackson was the president at the time. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I knew this until this article. I didn't either. Did you know? You didn't know? Mm-mm. Okay, I'm not a dummy then. He had a Derringer, and I think Derringers at the time were notorious for not firing all this, the time. This fired. <laughs> it fired, it but misfired. it didn't shoot a bullet. 
So it went off, but the bullet didn't come out. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. They were known for not firing correctly. I got gotcha. you. And uh, he actually had two Derringers, and they both misfired. Yep. And apparently Jackson went after him with his cane, like, you know, this dude was trying to kill me. Like, there was no Secret Service at the time. I guess Secret Service was his cane. Right. He happened to be coming out of a state funeral. And so not only did Andrew Jackson beat this guy with his cane, none other than Tennessee Senator Davy Crockett helped to subdue the guy. Really? Yeah. Of course he did. Yeah. Richard Lawrence is like, this is awesome. (laughs) I'm getting beat by Davy Crockett and Andrew Jackson. I'll be remembered forever. Yeah. And he was and is, uh, if you know about him. Um, But he was acquitted and committed to a mental asylum. And... That was the end of Richard Lawrence, as far as we know. Yeah, and we should say, like, he was, it wasn't just going after the president that made him insane. He was, he believed he was Richard III, uh, the, yeah. the king who was recently found buried beneath a parking lot. Remember? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, he thought he was Richard III and that Andrew Jackson had killed his father and that by killing Andrew Jackson, um, a lot more money would be available. This is during a depression. And Jackson actually, for his part, came to believe that, um, Richard Lawrence was a patsy in an assassination attempt carried out by the rival, I think, Whig Party, yeah. who wanted him out of the presidency. Which wasn't true. No, but he spent the rest of his life paranoid about it. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. All right. So uh, Ezra Pound, poet, yeah. <laughs> writer, and unbeknownst to me, uh, anti-Semite and fascist. I had no idea. I didn't either. He was... Um, and his, this was a tricky case because most people believe now that he wasn't insane and that he just really knew the right people and pulled the right strings to get out of a crime. Yeah. So he was a big uh, Mussolini guy, moved to Italy in 1925 and started doing a radio broadcast, began writing and broadcasting these anti-Semitic, anti-Roosevelt rants during World War II. Mm-hmm. That doesn't sit well with the United States, of course. Especially not when we invade Italy and take over. Yeah. And so uh, it was an act of treason, and he was arrested and imprisoned in Italy. And then after Mussolini died, he was extradited, uh, faced these charges, and he pled insanity and was actually found not competent to stand trial and spent the rest of his days in a mental asylum, St. Elizabeth's. In D.C., Washington, D.C. He didn't spend the rest of his days. He got out in 1958. Oh, I thought he died in 1958. No, and while he was at St. Elizabeth's, which was headed by a devotee of Ezra Pound, a guy named Dr. Winfred Overholzer Sr. <laughs> That's not a real name. I swear. <laughs> he was the head of St. Elizabeth's, and he thought Pound was just one of the greatest literary figures alive. Oh, I thought he died there. And no, and so he vouched for him, and... um Basically, Pound was allowed to have like visitors over for sex anytime, and he had a really cushy um, life wow. while he was there, and got out and got around being tried for treason. Even though he was never declared insane, no doctor ever said this man's insane. They just vouched for him that he was—I uh, can't remember how they put it—but basically, they they got around it with semantics off his rocker. <laughs> Is that the legal term? That's what they called him. Uh, the next one is pretty interesting too. Uh, Anthony and William Esposito brothers dubbed the Mad Dog Killers in 1941 in oh. January in New York City. They held up their office man or an office manager for about 650 bucks and then shot and killed him. And then this wild police chase on foot down Fifth Avenue or up Fifth Avenue in Manhattan, like darting in and out of department stores. Mm-hmm. Shooting and stuff. One of the guys gets popped in the leg, mm-hmm. goes down, plays dead, and then shoots and kills the officer 
as he approaches him. That's a dirty rat. Oh man, that's such a dirty rat move. The other guy, or, or when he shot and killed the the cop, um, he got up and started to run off, and a bunch of New Yorkers got on top of him and beat him unconscious. <laughs> that's the beauty of New York. <laughs> yeah, and they they found the other guy, uh, his brother, in a in a convenience store, and so they were caught and tried and. Throughout the trial, they barked and drooled and banged their heads on the on the desk because apparently this is what insane people do. Yeah, exactly. And the jury didn't buy it and convicted them both, sentenced them to death. Actually, yeah. And while they were at Sing Sing, they continued uh, this. I mean, I, could, I don't know if people thought it was real or not, so I don't. I'm hesitate to say continued the charade because maybe they were a little off, but um, they continued this in prison. And they basically didn't care in Sing Sing, and they were put to death in 1942. Yep. So unsuccessful in their bid to get off on the insanity rule. Yeah. Like you said, it only is effective in 1% of cases. Andrew Goldstein? Yeah. I remember this going down. Do you really? Yeah. This is such a sad case. 1999, he uh, pushed a woman named Kendra Webdale in front of the N-train at the 23rd Street Station. Uh, during a psychotic episode, and this was a true case of someone who was deeply, deeply troubled. You know, it wasn't someone who said, let me use the insanity defense, because I didn't know what I was doing at the time. He uh, started off his life as a pretty bright guy, and then started suffering delusions in college, and had been in and out of psychiatric hospitals, um, had had violent episodes with his mother, uh, violent behavior, basically committed self-committed 13 times over a two-year period and was just released a few weeks before he had pushed this poor woman in front of the train, which killed her. Yeah, and um, as a result of her death, New York came up with something called Kendra's Law, which gives judges the power to um, forcibly commit people they think need psychiatric attention right, for up to 72 hours, um, which is a big deal. But in this case, it doesn't quite jibe from what I understand because Goldstein did voluntarily seek treatment. Oh, yeah. I guess that makes sense. It's just a sad case. He was tried three times for it. Yeah. The first time there was a hung jury, he pled insanity. Uh The second time he was found guilty, but um, that that finding, what what would that be called? Uh, Verdict. Yeah, that verdict. (laughs) Man, something's up with me. That was uh, thrown out on a technicality as I understand it. And then in 2005, he was tried for a third time and pled guilty. Yeah, to manslaughter, though. Yeah. Not murder. Yeah. And he is in prison, and he was sentenced to 23 years plus five of probation. And like you said, Kendra's Law was passed as a result. So, uh, yeah, very, very sad case. Yeah, there's no nobody comes out a winner on that. <laughs> you got one more? Yeah, um, John Delling. When I mentioned whether or not um, that there was a discussion about whether or not someone has a constitutional right to plead insanity. Yeah. Um, This is the guy that brought it up most recently. Um, Back in 2007, he shot, over the course of a couple of months, he shot three of his friends. Oh, they were his friends? Yeah, and killed two of them. One was a childhood friend. Wow. Or a friend since childhood. And um, it was, he he was a diagnosed. Paranoid. He, he was diagnosed with schizophrenia, and um, he was under the impression that people were stealing his powers. I guess the people he that he killed. Yeah. yeah. The thing is, um, even the defense and the judge said 
the, you know, the whole reason that you did this was because of your mental illness. Yeah. And you, this is a perfect insanity defense. Idaho doesn't recognize the insanity defense. So yeah. he was sentenced for, uh, to two life terms in solitary confinement without parole for the killings. Yeah. And like everyone agreed that this guy was mentally ill, but like you said, wrong state, wrong crime. Yeah. And, uh, that's what prompted, like, like you were talking about, like, is this, should this be a federal right? And, you know, after the Hinckley verdict, a lot of states repealed the insanity defense. Um, um, and then a lot of them went back and reinstated it. Under different terms? Yeah, like Utah, for example, repealed it and then allowed it to come back, but it's next to impossible to to prove it under the definition that, that's out there. But Idaho was like, no, there's no insanity defense. Hmm. And I think there's a couple other states, too. Wow. Well, that's all the cases I have. Same here, man. Got any more? No. It's, it's definitely, I mean, it's there to help the mentally ill. But I think you're right. For a little while there, it was, you know, plead insane, go to a hospital for a few years, get out. Well, you know, what's interesting is we, we talked about um, we talked about them getting rid of the volition rule, right? Yeah. But, like, just quickly, Lorena Bobbitt, mm. she was basically temporarily insane, and yeah. she was acquitted of her actions. Yeah. Assault. And the Dahmer was a very famous case, too. Yes, but he's, his insanity plea didn't work out. Yeah. Because the jury believed he knew what he was doing was wrong. Neither did his prison stay. Yeah. You know that guy, he's trying to write a book, the guy who killed him. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm kind of interested, too, because he... I always like. There's not a whole lot of information on uh, what's his name. Uh, Somebody Carver, Clarence Carver, I think. No, you're thinking of the saxophonist for the Bruce Springsteen band. <laughs> That's Clarence Clemens, and he's passed away. Uh, his name is uh, Christopher Scarver. Uh, Clarence Carter, Carver, Christopher Scarver. Clarence Clemens passed away. Yeah, man. When? Like last year, I think. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's sad. Um. So anyway, he's trying to write a book, and I was always curious because there's not a lot of information like. Why he killed he killed those two guys that day? Oh, um, he killed someone else that day. Yeah, he killed. He, he was on bathroom duty with two other dudes, uh, two other murderers, Dahmer and another guy. And I think he got a piece of uh, like a metal bar from the gym and beat them to death. And uh, he wants to write a book now to like explain why he did it and to reveal Dahmer's final words, which you know is very salacious. But of course, I'm like, ooh, what do he say? Well, I hope he does do it, <laughs> and then finds out later on that you're not legally allowed to profit from your crime. Yeah, that's true. So he wouldn't be able to... If you're listening to this, I didn't just say that, Scarver. <laughs> I don't think he's listening. Okay. Um, well, people do listen to this in prison. We know that for a fact. Yeah, he's probably making uh, mulled wine in a sock. <laughs> uh, you got anything else on mulled wine? Nope. Okay. Uh, if you want to learn more about the insanity defense, um, there's a great article on HowStuffWorks.com called 10 Uses of the Insanity Defense. And there's another one called, um, What is the Definition of Insanity, right? Yeah, which we'll go back. We may want to do that one in full. We'll see if it's got more stuff in there. Yeah. Um, you can check both of those out by typing insanity in the search bar, the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And as I said, search bar, uh, that means it's time for this. Now it's time for listening now. Okay, Josh, part three, not listener mail, but oh. part three of what? Okay, 
<laughs> Administrative details, if you haven't learned by now, is when we thank people for sending us nice things. And we're almost done. Like, like we're <laughs> yeah. caught up, man. Uh, yeah, I have a few on my desk, but that's okay. nothing. Like, a few is no big deal. Yeah. All right. We got some awesome aluminum prints from Dan Gaffney mm-hmm. of Tech Lab Photo in Baltimore. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Yep. Um, you remember him? We corresponded with him recently. Oh, yeah. Good guy. Thanks, Dan. Uh, is there a website on there? Uh, no, but Tech Lab Photo in Baltimore. Use the old search engine of your choice to figure that out. Yeah, or you can just drive there. Yeah, true. Um, we got a nice postcard of Jesus' baptismal site in the Jordan River from Christina Curtis, who researches water resources in Jordan. Thank you for that. Uh, we got some coffee from singingroostercoffee.com. 100% of the proceeds go to help projecthaiti.org. And I think I just said 100% of the proceeds. You sure did. So that's that's pretty awesome. So support singingroostercoffee.com. Yeah. Um, we got a postcard of Minar-e-Pakistan Tower from Irfam. Thank you very much for that. Uh, Don Kuby, our buddy, Kubes, yeah. sent us uh, that awesome, uh, it was on glass, right? Yeah, it's like a cutting board. Oh, is that what that is? I believe so. That's what, that's what I've been using it for. <laughs> I don't know if that's what it's for. It's got like her photograph underneath. Yeah. Her photograph that she took of like a landscape. Uh-huh. Um, but it's, I'm pretty sure it's a cutting board. All right. You should probably let us know, Kubi. Don't break it. Uh, and we also got a letter from uh, Boy Scout Braden W., who wrote us to earn his communications merit badge. Nice. So that was kind of cool. Um, we got a handwritten note card suggesting we do 3D printers from, I think, another Irfan. We're going to have to do that. Everyone is asking for 3D printing. Okay. It's the hot thing. I know. That's it's what super all the cool. kids are into. Yeah. Uh, Atlanta Corps Vets Drum and Bugle Corps patch. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know who sent it, and I apologize that we don't have the name. Yeah, sorry. But the Atlanta Corps Vets Drum and Bugle Corps is uh, a patch, and I might put it on a hat. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh, we got some nice letters um, requesting info on unsolved questions like the Bermuda Triangle, the Hindenburg, exorcism. From Andrea P., Jake M., Jason S., Stephanie B., and Vanessa B., all from the 8th grade class at North Carroll Middle School in Hampstead, Maryland. Sorry we didn't write back in time. I believe they're all in high school now. Oh, really? Yeah, but thank you for writing in, guys. <laughs> Keep growing up. Um, awesome insect science uh, illustration postcard from Martha Iserman of BigRedSharks.com. Mm-hmm. And New Zealand's Not Down Under postcard and New Zealand Facts. Uh, and we can't really see who signed it because the post office stamped over it. So see our USPS podcast for why that happens. Right. Um, but, but we thank you for that. We got a letter from Benjamin from Gardner's Avenue School in Levittown, New York, who wanted info on the Statue of Liberty. Thank you for that. National Radio Astronomy Observatory in New Mexico. It's a postcard from uh, Dylan C., and he is in the Navy and an amateur astronomer. Yeah, he said it was like going to, uh, I can't remember where, but it was like a pilgrimage for him. Nice. Yeah. Um, let's see. We got an exceptional hand-drawn postcard from Alex, who's an, an artist in North Carolina. Uh, we got a CD of the album The Broken Record by Twink, which is the toy piano band. Did you hear oh, it? Oh, yeah, yeah. They're pretty awesome. That was great. Yeah. Uh, La Serena, Chile. We got a postcard from Margaret C., from Chile, and uh, coffee and coffee tips from Otto Campa. Oh, yeah? I didn't see the coffee tips. Is there a question mark at the end of that person's name? <laughs> no. Uh, we got a Mexican pizza menu from Christy Thied, <laughs> which includes like peach, leg of pork, avocado, tuna. Leg of pork. That yeah. 
struck my fancy. I would eat some avocado pizza. Like, as a matter of fact, I'm putting avocado on my next pizza. All right. Uh, got some more coffee from uh, Alex with uh, a YX and our friends at the Adina, Minnesota Dunn Brothers Coffee Place. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, boy, you've been getting lots of coffee, huh? Like, have you had to buy coffee in a couple of years? We, oh, it's all gone. Is it? Yeah, that's all from the coffee podcast. Okay. Uh, portrait book of... And I shared. I shared. Oh, sure, yeah. Okay. Or at least offered, and I was like, no, nah, you take the coffee. No, I share. I think I gave some to Connell Bird. Oh, really? And I think Jerry got some, too. Didn't you, Jerry? You got coffee. Okay, yeah. Jerry's like, what? <laughs> you, got, you guys still here? <laughs> <laughs> um, we got a portrait book of Justin and his cat, Waffles. Of oh. ev- everythingwaffles.com. Yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. And a postcard of a man with a giant fish from Reagan T. And I think you have one more, right? I do. Um, let's see. We got a uh, lovely floral note congratulating you, me, and me on our wedding. That's from nice. From Leah Ray. Thank you very much for that. It was very nice. Boy, you have been holding on to these for a while, huh? I know. It was the February before last. <laughs> okay. So thank you for that. Finally. Yeah. Thank you to everybody who's been sending us stuff. We really genuinely appreciate it's all of it. super sweet. Yeah. And um, if you want to send us something, you can find the address on the How Stuff Works homepage. If you scroll down at the bottom of the homepage under Contacts and click on that, it has our address. You can send us something if oh, you want. Well done. Yeah. Uh, and if you want to get in touch with us just to say hi or whatever... Um, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at Discovery.com. And you can join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 